Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, our Lord, having come down from the Mount of the Transfiguration, is approached by a man who is seeking help for his son, an epileptic. And this man has approached not Jesus himself, but his disciples. And he came away without any help. When Jesus hears of this cry of help, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then he tells the man to bring the son to him. And like a few Sundays ago, our Lord makes very short work with the demon. He rebukes him, and the demon comes out, and the son is healed. Fast forward probably to that evening, because I'm sure when our Lord asked this question, the disciples began whispering among themselves, faithless and perverse generation. That's pretty harsh, Jesus. We're, we're all following you. We're here. But they realized they had not been able to cast out this demon. So they came privately to Jesus, asking, why could we not do this? We've seen you do so much, but we don't seem to be able to do it. Jesus' answer, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, a tiny little seed, you will be able to move mountains. Nothing will be impossible. And then he adds on the end, but of course, there's particular demons that you're going to need a little bit more prayer and fasting. So you've got to start with the mustard seed. But this is exactly what the disciples' trouble is unbelief, lack of trust in God. This question of Christ, how long will I be with this faithless and perverse generation? That he tells them to have faith as just a mustard seed. This faith in God that he can bring life out of death. That God himself can make what seems impossible, possible. This is what St. John Chrysostom in his homilies on Romans tells us what justifying faith is. It's why Abraham was justified by his faith. Because he believed God could make the impossible possible. That he could raise his son Isaac from the dead. That he's going to follow him without really knowing where he's going to a promised land. And is this example of faith, well, as counterposed to the example of faithful, faithlessness, that I want this morning to direct our minds to a great example of faithfulness, who was faithful in the midst of a faithless and perverse generation. And that is the holy prophet Elijah. Because today is the last celebration of the feast of the transfiguration of our Lord, 
And typically, we put a lot of emphasis, or at least I do, on who is standing besides Jesus is Moses. This morning, I want us to look at Elijah. Elijah in the first kingdoms or first kings chapter 17 just appears. He's not talked about. It suddenly says Elijah the Tishbite comes to Ahab. Ahab, if you remember from Sunday school or if not, Ahab was a really bad king. Do you remember Ahab's wife? Jezebel is a reason why you don't hear any children called Jezebel. And why Jezebel is, you know, not a term you want to call a lady, right? Ahab and Jezebel have led Israel into great apostasy, into idolatry. We know from 1 Kings that Jezebel has tables. It's not just, oh, well, we're going to tolerate this. Jezebel has tables laden for hundreds of prophets of Baal. And Elijah appears before the king. He says, the Lord God of Israel lives, right? You've, you've forgotten him. Before whom I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Elijah goes before this king and he tells him, get ready for a drought. And that there's not going to be water falling from the heavens until I say so. I'm sure Ahab laughed. Like, who is this guy? Does anyone know who this Elijah person is? Well, soon enough, Ahab was pretty upset. Because this drought, as we know from scripture, lasts three years. And we know that as Elijah retreats, because God calls him outside, beyond the Jordan, outside of Israel... This is where he's in the cave where he's fed by the raven with the food and the water while Israel suffers a drought. We know that Ahab is so upset and Jezebel is so upset that they send out and they just start slaughtering the prophets. We think of prophets, we think one prophet, but if you read scripture closely, there's schools of prophets. There are gatherings of prophets. There's many prophets. Certain ones are held up for us. But it is the infidelity of Ahab and Jezebel leading Israel astray. This is, of course, what Elijah does in proclaiming this. He's repeating or he's bringing forth what God told Israel very early on. If you do not follow me, worship me, obey my commandments, what are the curses from Deuteronomy? One of them is very clear. Drought. Elijah doesn't just appear out of nowhere. In scripture he does, but we learn that you don't get an Elijah unless there's a backstory. So we actually go to the New Testament and we hear in the epistle of James that Elijah was like us and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Elijah... One who stands with great courage and audacity before the king has spent a lot of time in prayer. Elijah, who's surrounded by incredible infidelity, king and queen who have led Israel astray, he prays.
for justice. He prays for the eyes of Ahab, Jezebel, and Israel to open again. Now, besides the curses, or besides this infidelity, there's another thing going on with the drought. Does anyone know what the god of Baal was about? What he's the god of? We have all these kind of regional gods, or over certain things. What was Baal the god of? Storm god, fertility god, like water, right? So we have Elijah, the prophet of God, telling Ahab, you know the God that you've gone and worshipped? Well, guess what? It's not going to work. Three years, the New Testament tells us, three years and six months. And Elijah, in the midst of this, is taken care of. He is taken beyond Israel. He's taken by a, a wadi, a little creek, like seasonal creek. And he is fed and he's given drink. He even goes outside of Israel to the widow of Zipporah, where he then has you know, the jar that continually produces food. He even brings her son back from the dead. It is Elijah that we hear about in Scripture that there's this refrain throughout the book of Kings that God says, do this and that and that, and then the next verse, it says, Elijah does exactly what God says. Go do this. Elijah goes and does that. Go do this. Elijah goes and does that. You see, the reason why Elijah is heard, the faith of a mustard seed, a faith grown through prayer and intimacy with God, is something that comes directly out of his obedience. That gives him boldness to stand before Ahab. That also gives him boldness to stand before God and say, look at all of this mess. We have to stir things up and wake Ahab and Jezebel up. Elijah is told by God after three years and change, you need to go back to Ahab. It's time for repentance. And Elijah goes and he finds Obadiah, the prophet. And Obadiah is very uncertain because Obadiah had hidden some prophets. And he thinks Elijah's come to stir things up. Ahab later calls him the troubler of Israel. Who's the real troubler of Israel? It's not Elijah, it's Ahab. But we have Obadiah saying, are you sure you're going to be there? Because I'm afraid if you don't show up, Ahab's going to kill me because he's been going all over this country looking for you and outside of this country killing prophets left and right. So if you're coming, Elijah says, I'm coming. God told me to do this. I'm coming. So Elijah goes before Ahab and says, bring all of your prophets Baal. We're going to have a showdown. We are going to set up two different altars, one to Baal and one to the God of Israel. And we're going to see who the real God is. When they gather at Mount Carmel, Elijah stands before all the people and he cries out, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. The people didn't say anything. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone... I'm left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets 
are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. And he sets basically the parameters of the contest. Do you all remember what happens at this contest? It's a day-long, crazy party at the bow altar. They are crying out. They are, even it tells us, they're, they're cutting themselves. They are bleeding. They're in a frenzy asking for Baal to come down and set this altar on fire. What is Elijah around noonday? You can just see him sitting there waiting because he knows he's not going to answer. He says, you know, you need to speak up. He can't hear you. He must be meditating. He's busy. Uh, in the Hebrew, it says he must be taking care of his business in the water closet. Right? He gets a little jocular here, you know. God's away on business, right? Baal's gone. So they increased the frenzy. And scripture tells us there is no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Can you imagine Elijah at this moment? He knows that God has heard his prayer of keeping back the water. But now he's surrounded. He's put himself on the line. He's a known target. There is a target on his back now. Men have died because of this drought. And he stands. He doesn't have the people's affirmation. They don't say anything. He sees, obviously, that Baal is not going to show up. But... When someone's disappointed, they can really lash out at you, right? Elijah tells the people, come a little closer. Just the courage of Elijah. So they all came closer and they watched him repair an altar to God that had been broken down. Twelve stones representing the tribes of Israel. Then he digs a trench, right? A deep trench. And then to everyone probably amazed, this is already quite something. You're going to call down God to burn up this altar. What does he go do? But he says, go get water pots, fill them with water. And what does he do with all the water? Gives it to the people to drink? No. How many times do they soak the altar? It's probably a good guess, right? Three times they soak it so much that the trench that had been built around the altar is filled. And it came to the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that the prophet Elijah came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant that I've done all these things at your word, at your command. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And with this, fire descends from the heavens. It consumes the sacrifice, the bull on the altar. It consumes the wood. It consumes the stones. Scripture says it consumes the dust. And there's no water left in the trenches. Now the people have something to say. 
Now the people fall on their faces, just like in Scripture, where after they see Jesus do a miracle, they fall on their faces and they say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Many of us probably forget what the next verse is. Do you know what happens after all of this? What does Elijah do? He kills all the prophets of Baal. Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let them escape. And it says Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Elijah, a man of courage, a man of faith, a man alone in a perverse and faithless generation. He goes up on another mountain and he tells Ahab, I'm bringing the water. And he sits in the fathers of the church. The way it describes, does anyone remember how Elijah sits? He puts his head between his legs. He like crouches down which is actually what the fathers, when they are encouraging Jesus' prayer, it is the position of Jesus' prayer, is this kind of hunched over, and he prays seven times. He sends somebody to check, and water rains down from the heavens. So not only has fire fallen, but rain falls from the heavens. Meanwhile, Ahab goes and tells Jezebel what's happened. Jezebel's table is empty now. There's not the 450 prophets of Baal. What does Jezebel say? What does Jezebel, what does she want? His head, right? It's kind of like John the Baptist, uh, Herod and Herod's wife, right? All the echoes, there's a lot of echoes of scripture going on from the New Testament, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jezebel says, I'm going to kill Elijah like he killed my prophets. Elijah, the brave, courageous one, what does he do? He stands up to Jezebel, right? He goes and hides. He runs. You think the whole time, he's come out of nowhere. He's come before Ahab. He's, you know, he's been fed by ravens. He just called fire down from the heavens. He summoned water. Now Jezebel, an angry woman, is after him, and he runs. Not only does he run, he goes out into the wilderness again. He sits under a tree, it's like Jonah, and he prays, kill me. That's enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. What in the world, Elijah? What is God's response to this? I just hear the question of Jesus. How long will I be with you, faithless and perverse generation? Elijah runs away and he sleeps under a tree. And an angel appears to him. And he says, get up, eat. And he looks up and there's food for him. So he eats and drinks, and he goes back to sleep. I guess it, all this energy exerted to run out into the wilderness. And then the angel Lord comes again and says, you need to get up and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he gets up, he eats, he drinks, and he went in strength off that food for 40 days and 40 nights. 
up the mountain of God. Remember these mountains with the transfiguration in our background here. Elijah, the one whom has stood before Ahab and Jezebel, has called down fire, rain, has even gotten his hands bloody for the Lord. And he goes up on the mountain into a cave and he spends the night there. And God visits Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I have been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel, everybody else forsook you. They tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. I'm the one who has not forsaken your covenant. I restored your altars. I took care of the prophets. And now my life is on the line. He's having a crisis of faith. One of great courage is now beaten down, feels abandoned, does not understand. And God then, and this is the famous encounter with God, where God says, go stand on a mountain. And God passes by, and there's a great strong wind that tears into the mountain, into the cave where Elijah is. But God was not in the wind. There is an earthquake, but God is not in the earthquake. There is fire, but God is not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Elijah hears the voice. He goes out of the cave, and the voice says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So God comes, he blows through, he shakes him up, he sends down fire, and then he just talks to him like a child. What are you doing here? And Elijah repeats himself the exact same thing. I've been zealous, I've done all these things, and now they want my life. You would think maybe Elijah deserves judgment. That Elijah needs to retire as a prophet. Or maybe Elijah's right. God just needs to take his life. He needs to be done. What does God do? He's fed him. He's brought him to rest in a mountain. He has shown him all of these things. Yes, it's God, but like, here I am present in the most intimate childlike way to you as a parent why are you here God says to him go back and when you go back here's the kings I need you to anoint here's a prophet that I need you to take under throw your mantle over I have reserved 7,000 in Israel at whose knees have not bowed to bow. And every mouth that has not kissed him, there's 7,000. Son, Elijah, you're not done. You don't need to be here. In fact, I have more for you to do. I have fed you. I have secured your life. I've talked to you as a parent to a child. Now go. 
do the work of a prophet? I hear the question of Jesus, how long will I be with you, perverse and faithless generation? And I see that God will always be with us like he was with Elijah, an incredibly faithful prophet who rains down fire and rain, but is a man who struggles, who gets despondent, depressed, afraid, and runs. And what does God do? He tries every possible way to be with him, to teach him, to tell him that mustard seed of faith that started all of this, you still have it, and I'm going to help you grow it. Just like Jesus interacts with his disciples, they teach us, how did we miss? How did we not throw out this demon? And God says, you can, with faith, with prayer and fasting, I will employ you. I will use you. You will stop rain. You will heal. You will bring the kingdom. God will work through you. So brothers and sisters, let us like the apostles as we struggle. Like Elijah as we struggle with faith. Let us maintain. Let us keep and remember a mustard seed of faith. This is all that is needed to grow up into a gigantic tree of faithfulness. This is how God works through us. A little bit of faith that is fed with prayer and fasting, just like Elijah. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to God.